Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. There's a brand new term in the college football world we got to discuss right now, and that is the care factor. And the care factor is very, very high at a certain school in Columbia, Missouri. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. Welcome to the hard count, the people's college football show. We talk college football every single day. It is February 6, 2024. Happy second anniversary to my wife. It is the last February 6, 2024 on the face of this planet. Got to make it a great one. It is the eve of not the first National Signing Day, but the second National Signing Day. We have our early National Signing Day that happens in December. And really what that's come to be known as is just National Signing Day. So we are going to kind of bring up the rear here tomorrow on the On3 Recruits channel. So make sure you're locked in there. Josh Newberg, National Recruiting Analyst for us here at On3. He and I are going to be at the desk tomorrow for a couple of hours, kind of unpacking what's going on when it comes to the 2024 team industry rankings. And uh, if we have any movement in those rankings, Terry Bussy going to make his commitment tomorrow morning. Where is he headed? Going to preview all that and then some with Josh here in a matter of moments. Got a lot of great questions from y'all as it pertains to what could be going on next season in college football. We got some people asking about who uh, some breakout players could be, or as y'all know them to be program guys. And one of y'all asked specifically, who are some program guys that we need to know about for the 2024 season? We'll give you a short list there. Not all-encompassing, but a short list. And also, probably what a lot of y'all are here for, the top five coaches in college football right now. So this is not, given their entire career, who has the best resume, this is not as who, who is the hottest right now, who's going to be the highest in the preseason polls, though you may see some names that are going to be high in the preseason polls. Who do we believe are the top five coaches in college football right now? I've got my own criteria, which I'll give to you in just a minute, uh, but that's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm sure we will all agree on that wholeheartedly. Also, 
uh, Chip Kelly. It looks like is making a play for the NFL to be a coordinator. And there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of weeks around different coaches leaving for NFL jobs and what's going on in the collegiate ranks with guys trying to leave college football. Um, I don't know exactly how Chip Kelly factors into that macro discussion, though I think he factors in a little bit. But I want us to kind of have a conversation here together about why we can't blame Chip Kelly for wanting to leave UCLA for the National Football League. So we appreciate y'all being in here. Make sure you're subscribed. A ton coming at you here, not just this hour and this show, The Hard Camp, but also throughout the rest of this offseason. Because college football doesn't really stop. I mean, there's games that stop being played, but recruiting is year-round. The transfer portal, it feels like at this point in time, is year-round. Um, Intel is year-round. So this show honors that. This show is right in line with what you want when it comes to college football consumption for the people, by the people, college football all the time. So we appreciate y'all being locked in with us. Hey, let's waste no time. Let's get right to it. The top five coaches in college football today. If you ask five different people, I think you get five different lists. Let me know in the comment section who your top five coaches are. But I want to give you my top five. And before we get to my top five, I want to give you my criteria. All right, this is the, the main factors when it came to putting together this top five. And it is difficult to keep it to five. We, we almost went top ten, but figured that would be too long of a segment. So maybe another day. Track record is extremely important to us. Now, track record, there's an emphasis on having a spotlight on where you are right now, and that, that'll make a little bit more sense when we get into this, but like we're grading your track record a little bit on a curve. Like having a job at a G5 school and doing well there, we look at that differently than you being successful at a school in a power conference, okay? So that, that matters to us. Uh, recruiting, but not recruiting specifically just at the high school level. We're also factoring in recruiting at the portal level because in modern college football, that is becoming increasingly more important and definitely a part of the game, a part of your success. Now, here's the big one. This is one that I think was a key differentiator for us as we put this top five together. Trajectory. And not just trajectory over the course of the next 10 years. I'm talking trajectory specifically in the sense of, can this coach win a national title in the next two seasons? That was really important to us. Then also, culture. I mean, hey, we, we understand this now. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to put a good roster together. It's important. It's, it's difficult to do. But to really separate yourself, you've got to have a winning culture. And all five of our coaches on this list, without question, have a winning culture. So before we get to that, make sure you're subscribed. A lot of y'all that are watching live, we appreciate you for that. But if you're watching this as a one-off video, get in this live show with us. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. The best way to make sure you don't miss it, making, your, making sure you are subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. All right, let's get to it. At number five, we got Mike Norvell from Florida State. In Florida State, think about where they were before Mike Norvell got there. They were down bad. They were, they've always been this premier brand in college football, but they had been struggling the last couple of years before he got there. And Mike Norvell, going back to our criteria, hasn't knocked it out of the park on the high school side of things. And that's tough to do when you're not winning how they wanted to win when he got there. So what does he do? He sees an opportunity. He sees a tool. He sees an area of need on his roster, and he attacks the portal and last year, they had the number 11 ranked class, I believe, on the transfer portal team rankings. I think after the dust settled, it was very fair to put them within that top five in terms of what they got out of that portal class. Keon Coleman, I think, was one of the best transfer portal acquisitions of the entire transfer portal cycle previously. Um, the high school recruiting side of things is getting there. Um, right now, they have a, they have a top five class uh, on the transfer portal side of things for this cycle. And the key thing for them is they use that portal and those players 
to pass up what was at that point in time the big dog in the ACC that was Clemson. We got to see that up close and personal in Death Valley, South Carolina. And play after play was made by a player in Garnet and Gold that was not on Florida State's roster a season ago. And that was the difference in that game. He's 31-17 and 17 at Florida State with one ACC title to his name. Um, the fact that he elevated Florida State back to the, the top of, or the, the tier one, rather, of the college football landscape, I think matters. And that speaks to the kind of coach that he is. Because whenever you have problems and you're struggling to win at a big brand, typically the, the problem stretches deeper than just your roster. Typically, there's something within it from a structural point of view within that that coaching staff or the um, culture isn't great from from different points. And so for him to be able to fix that and for Florida State to give him the time to fix that and for him now to have back to back double digit win seasons in Tallahassee and moving forward into an expanded playoff where I think Florida State will be a routine visitor to that expanded playoff. Uh, Mike Norvell, without question, has an opportunity to win a national title in these next two seasons. And I think what he's done to elevate Florida State from where he was to where they are now, can't say enough good things about Mike Norvell, uh, without question, a top five coach in the sport for our money. All right, so Mike Norvell at number five. Now at number four, we got Ryan Day. And this is one that I think we might get some pushback on. That's more than fine. Here's what I would say. Don't let Twitter detract you or detract from what's actually real with Ryan Day. Don't let punchline culture paint a picture of who Ryan Day is as a coach. And what's real about Ryan Day as a coach? Because what's real about Ryan Day as a coach is his record. 56-8. and eight. People are going to say, oh, I can't win the big game, can't beat Michigan, all this, that, and the other. And that's fine. They said a lot of those things about Kirby Smart, about not being able to win the big game at a certain point in his career. Ryan Day, I believe, still developing, still evolving as a head coach. 56-8. and eight. Urban Meyer hasn't been there since 2018. So all this talk around he's born on third base and he's just living off the Buckeye brand. I'm not telling you that Urban Meyer didn't leave him a good situation with that roster. I'm not telling you that Ohio State brand doesn't have some staying power to it. But there's a lot of brands that have staying power that haven't, one, recruited how Ohio State has recruited, top five pretty much every single year. Also, a lot of big brands that haven't won how Ohio State has won with Ryan Day being the head coach there. So a lot made about what he hasn't done as a head coach. Look at what he has done. Several first-round quarterbacks he's helped develop. I mean, of, of his eight losses, three of those are to an individual who's now going to be a head coach of the National Football League. There's only 32 of those jobs. And two of those other losses were one to a guy who is pretty high on this list. We'll get to in a second. And the other is the greatest of all time in Nick Saban. So, like, of those eight losses, I understand it's, it's never a good thing to lose a football game. You never want to qualify a loss. But looking at what he's done... 87% of his games, he has won. That is ridiculous. If Ryan Day were on the market tomorrow, I think 98% of the country, 98% of the other jobs, Ryan Day would be an upgrade for. So definitely one of the best coaches in the country for my money. Um, Ohio State has the second best odds to win the national title this season. A big reason for that, the way Ryan Day has attacked the transfer portal. Adding Caleb Downs, adding Quinshawn Judkins. Heck, they got Julian saying just because they feel like it. Uh, Ohio State. And Ryan Day, I believe, in good position in 2024. Ryan Day, for us, a top five coach in the game today. Now, let's get to this top three. This is where it gets a little bit juicy here. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian at number three. And I was talking with Trey Yannity before we got on air here, one of our producers here at On3. And I, I ran through our top five, and I had Steve Sarkeesian at three, and he kind of grimaced a little bit. My first thought was, yeah, well, I understand. You know, that they've, they've had sustained success here for a short period of time. You know, uh, sustained success. They've had success for a short period of time here at Texas. I understand that. 
thinking he thought that Steve Sarkeesian was too high. When in reality, Trey thought Steve Sarkeesian should have been higher on this list. So all that's to say, uh, I think he is one of the best coaches in the game, obviously with him being number three on our list. Think about how many coaches have tried and failed at Texas. There was a point in time where there was a feeling around the Texas job, at least from the college football public point of view, where like, hey, I don't know if you want to take on that kind of venture. I don't know if that's a winnable situation because of the culture that's on that roster, because of how involved the boosters are, because of the lack of patience on, you know, in the 40 acres. Like that was kind of the perception before Steve Sarkeesian took it over. Think about the way we talk about Texas now. We talk about Texas as being a contender in the SEC, not just in the Big 12. They won the Big 12 last year, and that's great. We talked about you know, their uh, potential for what they should have done in 2023, and that was always the way we threw around, right? Potential this, potential that. We're not talking about potential anymore for Texas. We're talking about adding on to what they did a season ago. So the lift that he had to lift Texas to where they are now, similar to where Mike Norvell took Florida State to, um, it was a heavy lift. I truly believe that. Um, he had to booster the uh, the involvement of uh I'll, I'll rephrase that. The booster involvement as a whole, I think, was too much. So Steve Sarkeesian had to manage that. Uh, there were development issues at Texas. He had to restructure that. The roster, there was talent there, but they didn't have it at the right spots where they needed it to be. Uh, most crucially, the, the culture was not at the elite tier where they needed it to be to win national championships. He fixed all those things in three seasons. Five and seven, eight and five, went 12 and two last year with the Big 12 title and a college football playoff appearance to their name. So... There's extra pressure at a place like Texas. Steve Sarkeesian has been able to win with all that extra pressure there. Um, I don't know if anyone besides the people that are ahead of him on this list could have done what he's done at Texas. Like, that's a difficult place to win, a difficult place to get them back to where you expect them to be. Um, he's recruited at a really high level as well. They enter into the SEC in a position of power. He had a top five class a number three class last year, and right now the number six class in the on-three industry team recruiting rankings, using the portal to their advantage, adding Isaiah Bond, adding Silas Bolden, going to get Andrew McCuba, one of the best safeties in the portal. Like, they've used the portal to their advantage. Texas could win it all this year. And I'm not just saying that to, to try and make a case for Steve Sarkeesian being top three on our list. I mean, by nature of how they've built this roster, by nature of where the culture's at, Steve Sarkeesian has elevated Texas to where it's not a crazy thing to say anymore. Texas could win the whole thing. That used to be just sort of burnt orange Kool-Aid talk. That used to just be sort of overly ambitious Texas fan talk. Texas is now at a place where Steve Sarkeesian has made them a national title contender. And we're not wondering about where they sit when they enter into the SEC. I think they enter into the SEC as one of the top teams in that conference, right up there with the Georgia, with uh, LSU. And, and they beat Bama last year with Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa by double digits. And they bring back Quinn Ewers. So that doesn't factor into why Steve Sarkeesian's one of the top three coaches in, in the game right now for us, Quinn Ewers coming back. But I do think what he's done to elevate them and build them back up when they were down low for a long time, um, Steve Sarkeesian, I believe, wholeheartedly a top five coach in the sport today. Now, getting into our top two here, this is where it gets uh, a little bit less, uh, less tricky to break down. But at number two, we got Brian Kelly. And for Brian Kelly, I think he is as sure a thing as there is in college football. He's coached almost 400 games, won 73% of them. At Notre Dame, he won, was 92-40. and 40. Uh, Now winning at LSU, I believe he's 20-7 and seven with back-to-back double-digit win seasons. They played for the SEC title his first year in the conference. He is as good as there is in the game in installing structure into a program. Because think about where LSU was when he got there. 
Yes, they had kind of come off this, you know, national title letdown sort of couple of years, and, and they still had talent on the roster, but it was just like, I mean, it was anarchy. There was no real direction. There was no structure. There was no harmony. And their first year there, Brian Kelly and that staff install a way of doing things, and they have success from the jump. Make it to Atlanta. Last year, the defense struggled, was not nearly good enough, still found a way to win 10 games. So there's a, it's a tough stretch that's going on here for the good folks that have been saying Brian Kelly's not a fit. He's not going to recruit. He doesn't want to recruit. All I've seen from him so far is top 10 classes. And currently in the 2025 industry team recruiting ranks for us here at On3, they have the number one class. So Brian Kelly's cooking. And when we look at LSU in a macro level, I think for, for the Brian Kelly era in Baton Rouge, it is a matter of when, not so much if, they win a national title. They've had three coaches win a national title the last 15 years. They're using the portal as a tool. Brian Kelly is adapting when it comes to things he has to fix within LSU staff. They revamped the defensive side of the ball on, on the coaching side of things. Uh, I love where they're headed, and I truly believe Brian Kelly can make LSU a national champion. Not just a national title contender, national champion in these next two years. A very big part of that will be Garrett Nussmeyer and his success. So Brian Kelly for us, again, just as sure a thing as there is in college football, and uh, I believe he's the second best coach right now in the game in college football. Now, at number two, no secret, man, it's Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's the best coach in college football right now. Titles talk. Like, he's won two in the last three years. National championships, that is. And let's, let's be real, like, probably has had the best team in college football the last three years. And that's a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda. If Brock Bowers was healthy, if Ladd McConkey was healthy, if, if this, if that. I'm not here to get into that. But you look at Georgia. Georgia hasn't lost more than two games in the regular season since 2016. Since Kirby Smart's first year there, two regular season losses, no more than that. That's, that's absurd. Uh, nobody is better at consistently acquiring talent today than Kirby Smart, always a top three class. But it's not just the fact that they, de- that they acquire a top three class. It's the fact that they acquire top talent, they develop top talent. Like, I think the, uh, the environment Kirby Smart has created is elite standards with an insane amount of trust. Like, a great example of that is, is Carson Beck. Carson Beck gets to Georgia as a high-profile recruit, waits his turn, doesn't play for the better part of, like, three years. Eventually gets his chance, shoots up draft boards, is going to come back for another year, but, like, could have gone to the NFL this year and, I believe, been a pretty solid round draft pick. Not as high as he wants to go, but you hear the sentiment I'm saying here. At Georgia, if you buy in, if you wait your turn, you will eventually get the results that you want to get. And that's, that's rare in the modern college football era to be able to have that much buy-in to your way of doing things because in today's era of college football, it's a lot of, I want what I want now. And I'm not saying guys don't still transfer out of Georgia. I'm just saying overall, I think the level of buy-in he's created is why Georgia's as good as they are and why they don't go to the portal as much as some other teams do. So Kirby Smart continues to adapt. Um, the next part of his career the next part of his journey is kind of this uh this Saban evolution if you will and the Saban evolution is really just like the things around you start to change most notably your staff anytime you have success in college football especially uh, from a, from a staff level people see that they say okay how can we bottle some of what you have and put it on our team so people go out and try and get your offensive coordinator Todd Munkin goes to the NFL people want to hire your defensive coordinator Dan Lanning gets a head coaching job at Oregon and all that Kirby Smart has done is continued to win continue to compete at the highest level, and uh, the results really haven't changed all that much for Georgia over the course of that Saban evolution for him. 
kind of like we saw at Alabama with Nick Saban having a revolving door coordinators. I expect Kirby Smart to continue to have his staff poached and the personnel to continue to change and for Georgia to continue to win and continue to be a big dog in college football. Uh, food for thought, they are the favorite right now in Vegas to win the national title in 2024. So to recap it for you, our top five coaches in college football today. At number five, we got Mike Ravel. At number four, we got Ryan Day. At number three, we got Steve Sarkeesian. The way he's elevated Texas cannot be ignored. At number two, we got Brian Kelly. And at number one, no surprise, we got Kirby Smart. So get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram, and let me know who your top, top five coaches are right now in college football. Uh, I'm sure we won't have any disagreements. So that'll be a lot of fun. All right. Now with National Signing Day, less than 24 hours away, I feel like it's only appropriate for us to sit down with the czar of recruiting, the man as dialed in as it gets. You know him as the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Newberg, national recruiting analyst for us here at On3. Josh, what's going on, baby? How we doing? Uh, we are flying into National Signing Day. It kind of feels like a formality just so that we can turn the page to 2025, but I think we're going to, this signing day, this late signing day serves as more of a day of reflection. I think the early signing day is all about the excitement. You know, we're seeing some big flips. We saw a lot of action on the early signing day. Not so much on the late signing day, but it will be a great day. And uh, we'll turn the page to 2025. Yeah, what are we expecting here, Josh? Is it going to be a lot of, you know, movement within the, the on, on three industry team recruiting rankings because it seems like pretty much all the hay is in the barn at this point are we going to see any commitments that kind of shake the the rankings tree too much well there was very few uncommitted unsigned we do have some committed unsigned that we're waiting on notably terry bussey i'll talk about him in a minute but over the weekend gatlin baird took himself out of the equation of guys that we we're watching heading into national signing day when he chose the Oregon Ducks over Michigan, the last uncommitted unsigned five-star of the cycle, and the Ducks land him. Their last commitment, how about that, J.D.? Their last commitment for the Ducks was their first five-star of the cycle. So a huge pickup. And, you know, like I said, it kind of deflates a little of the excitement on National Signing Day, but we are tracking Terry Bussey. And Terry Bussey has been committed to Texas A&M, but he did not sign during the early period due to that coaching change with Mike Elko taking over for Jimbo Fisher. Now, he has jam-packed two official visits in two weekends. He took Georgia last weekend. He was at Texas A&M this weekend, and he, had and he found time to slam an unofficial visit to LSU in on Wednesday just before he took off for – he went to Texas A&M. Now, he is committed to the Texas A&M Aggies, but – LSU, I think, is the team that I'm watching heading into tomorrow. I think Georgia took a nice shot at him. Hey, why not take a big swing? But I think if anybody's going to flip him tomorrow, I think it's going to be LSU. We'll see what happens. A lot of the experts are saying this thing's 50-50 heading into uh, tomorrow, and we are expecting him to announce at 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. Ooh, okay. So you and I will probably be at least about to get on the air or maybe on the air when he announces. Yeah, we think? I think that's the plan. I think either we'll hop on right. You know, it usually these ceremonies, he's at Timpson High School in Texas, and uh, usually these 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 processes take like 15, 20 minutes. So, mm -hmm. hey, if we start the show right at the top of the hour when he begins, it might be 10, 15 minutes into the show. But, yes, we expect it to happen around then. And uh, he he's making a quote-unquote final decision, even though he's committed to Texas A&M. Well, final decision to action on National Signing Day. We love to see that. But, but you, met, you hit on something that I think is really interesting and something that kind of seems to be a topic across the college football world with all the shifting um, 
conversations around should we change the transfer portal window should we change signing day like do we think we're, we're entering a world where we could see a change to the national signing day calendar and we have it be okay we, we just have that first signing day and then maybe you put another national signing day further into the spring is that something we could see josh or do you think I, we, we have this for a while you know i i think it would be something to consider if coaches weren't leaving whenever they wanted to so right now you know we're seeing chip kelly even shopping himself to the nfl right yeah. now so i you know as long as these coaches are moving around as much as they do and there's there's nothing stopping them from moving i don't know how we can ask the recruits to stop you know when they've made a decision based on a coach so we'll see what happens i i you know it's getting crazier and crazier every year but it does seem like the early signing period is the signing period for all intents and purposes now. So, Josh, this wasn't something that I talked about before we got on air here. I want to just throw something at you. Tell me what you think about this. There's a really good article out by The Athletic. I think it's Ari Wasserman who wrote it. Um, and he's kind of breaking down, hey, signing day has got a lot of moving pieces to it. Um, and he talked to some staffers within college football and they had a couple of suggestions to, to changing like the recruiting calendar. And one of those suggestions was, just let prospects sign whenever they want. Like, mm -hmm. hey, a, a kid commits in July before his senior year, let him sign in July. Would you be in favor of that? Or you think that's maybe opening Pandora's box a little bit and we get too in the weeds with uh, how the roster could could shift and, and demands and things like that with the portal? Would you be in favor of kids signing whenever they want? Yeah, I think I've always kind of felt like that was the next natural step in the process because if they're inking NIL deals or they're, you know, they're, they're doing these things that can – Hey, why not? Why not allow them on an official? If you're allowed to take an official visit during the summer, why not at the end of that official visit, if he wants to sign, hey, you can announce I've signed with Alabama. I've signed with Auburn, you know? And and yes, you're still going to have the same implications. If you sign in December and your coach leaves afterward, then, you know, you're still going to have those same implications. We'll see what happens. I mean, hey, maybe we see you know, a correction in the way that coaches are fired because we saw what happened at Alabama. We saw what happened at Washington late. You almost lose your entire roster and the portal's already closed. So yeah. maybe we see programs hold on to their coaches a little bit longer and, and create some stability. But right now, it kind of feels like we keep every every new movement leads to a little bit more and more instability rather than stability so it kind of feels right now that we're in a a, a phase that we have to figure all this out i think when we look back in five or ten years maybe it'll feel a little bit more normal it feels a, a, a really chaotic right now jd it's like the renaissance of college football almost like all these new things are entering into the fold and we're trying to mix and match what's the best thing for the personnel staff, the best for the players, best for the powers that be in college football. It's a really interesting time, Josh. Uh, last question for you. Who do you think has uh, the most the most to, to gain on National Signing Day tomorrow? Potentially LSU, if they mm -hmm. can flip Terry Bussey. It would be their third flip of a Texas A&M Aggie. They flipped Dominic McKinley, Weston Davis. Dominic McKinley, defensive lineman, Weston Davis, an offensive tackle. And now they're working on Terry Bussey. So if there's one team tomorrow that can really make a name for themselves, I think it's LSU. And we know that LSU has already gotten a hot start to 2025, landing Bryce Underwood. They have three number one players at their position. We're going to have Chad Simmons on at the end. We're going to talk a little 2025 tomorrow on the National Signing Day show. It's only appropriate. But it would be, you know, kind of poetic if LSU is the uh, makes the last big splash in 2024, and then they're taken off in 2025 with already the number one class in America. So I'm watching the Tigers.
And Tigers, the Bayou Bengals making some moves. Josh, appreciate it, man. You and I will be here, not not for four hours like the early signing period show, but we will be here for a couple of hours yeah. chopping it up. And we'll have some friends joining us, Having too. Have some friends. Yeah, we'll have some friends I hanging what, out. I love what you said, uh, getting nostalgic about the 2024 class. How about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good time to go back and look back at the class. Absolutely. Well, that's Josh Newberg. Hey, do yourself a favor. Subscribe to the On3 Recruits channel. Okay, so there's a channel that is under the On3 umbrella all recruiting all the time. Josh does a phenomenal job crushing it there on that channel with the inside scoop and a bunch of other content there coming your way. So make sure you subscribe there. That will be where the National Signing Day show is tomorrow. Not here. If you come here, we'll not have a show. We'll be on the All 3 Recruits channel. So make sure it's out in there. Josh, appreciate you, man. We'll chop it up for a long time tomorrow. It'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Good Looking deal. Best in the business, man. I'm telling you. Josh Newberg. Follow him on Twitter, too, if you haven't already. Just recruiting all the time. And uh, always has the scoop, always has the intel, always has great insights. So make sure you're dialed in there. We appreciate y'all for that. Hey, make sure you like the video too while you're tuned in here. I know it's, I know it's, I almost said it's January. It's February already. Golly, spring ball is around the corner. Make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate you in advance for that. Um, quick housekeeping note too. I should have said this at the top of the show. If you come here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, you're a real one. However, we will not have a hard count for you. We will be doing the uh, On3 National Signing Day show on the On3 Recruits channel. Now, that does not mean that we will not have a hard count for you. Myself and Josh Newberg, once everything wraps up in the afternoon, we'll have a National Signing Day hard count for you. So it won't be at 10 a.m. Central or 11 a.m. Eastern, whatever time you tune in at, whatever time zone you're on. Uh, but if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, I promise I will have updates for you whenever that show is going to go live. So it's still a little bit of a play it by ear situation, but I can promise you we'll have a hard count, but I can also promise you it will not be at the regular scheduled time. So just make sure you're following me on the socials to, uh, to stand out in there. Now, if you follow just via the podcast and that's your only way of consuming the hard count, we salute you and uh, it won't be a major change for you. That podcast will just come out a little bit later than it typically would by nature of us being on the air a little bit later than we typically would. So it is what it is, but the party rolls on. Uh, let's keep on moving here. We got a great question from one of y'all via my Twitter page, at J.D. Pakel. Jacob Phillips, he says, who are some program guys we should know about for the upcoming season? Well, one, I mean, talk about the verbiage that he used here. Program guys, not breakout players, program guys. That's crucial. Um, but for some of y'all that may know them as breakout players, we'll talk about it that way. A couple of breakout guys that I want us to get to here. Uh, Jordan James from Oregon, running back. The running back, y'all. He averaged seven yards a carry in 2023. And, y'all, he didn't even get the bulk of the carries. Bucky Irving was the bell cow for them last season. Expect Jordan James to have a ton of production next year. That was a big part of Oregon's offense last season was being able to set the tempo running the football. They only ran the football right around 45% of the time. But I still think Jordan James will be a big factor in that offense next year, especially with Bucky Irving leaving. Um, also, think about it this way. You're breaking in a new quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. So whatever he is doing from a learning curve standpoint, if he needs some time to get up to speed in, in certain situations, I think Jordan James will be your guy for you. He is a stud, someone to watch next year without question, and also undoubtedly a program guy. So keep an eye on Jordan James. He's set for a big year in 2024. Uh, another guy that's going to be, I think, a big, big factor next season for Georgia is safety Jake Pope. Now, Jake Pope previously was at Alabama, committed out of high school to Alabama, was a four-star cat, and... Um, he came to Georgia once T-Rob got to Athens as uh, one of the co-DCs. So all that's to say, his coach at Alabama, 
who worked with him at Alabama, who knows Jake Pope very well from a skill set standpoint, from what he brings to the table standpoint, from a, a person standpoint. He knows Jake Pope. And T-Rob goes to Georgia, understands the level that's expected at Georgia, and says, we need Jake Pope. So Jake Pope, via the transfer portal, comes to Georgia. And just because you didn't get on the field at Alabama as a starting safety does not mean you can't play ball. The fact that Georgia took Jake Pope should tell you everything about him. Um, he's going to play opposite Malachi Starks. I think he's going to be uh, an instant impact guy for the dogs and add to that defense in a big way. So Jake Pope, without question, someone to know, someone to keep an eye on. I think he's going to factor into that defense and uh, fit in quite nicely for the dogs. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on here. How about Micah Hudson? True freshman Micah Hudson. Five-star plus Micah Hudson from Texas Tech. Um, I understand he's a true freshman. This isn't an instant impact true freshman segment, but it has to be noted. He will step on campus in Lubbock and be one of, if not the best offensive weapon for Zach Kitley and company. Now, you know this. We have a program crush on Texas Tech and Joey McGuire and what they've done. They also not make it weird. Um, I think Micah, will, Micah Hudson, with what he has from a skill set perspective, he's just a playmaker. Like, when he was in high school, he was the epitome of productive, um, has good track speed. Um, he is going to be a guy that I think is similar to what Florida had in Eugene Wilson as a true freshman last year in the sense that you're just going to get him the ball and let him eat. Whether it's bubble screens, whether it's getting the ball downfield, whether it's speed sweeps, however you want to do it, you can get Micah Hudson the ball and let him be dynamic for you. Uh, he's going to be a playmaker for them as soon as he steps foot on campus. He is that good committed to Texas Tech over some other big-time schools. They were very happy to land him, and I think there's no way you keep him off the field as a true freshman. He is going to be a baller, day one in Lubbock. Uh, another baller that was a day one baller at Kansas State was quarterback Avery Johnson. Uh, he is the future of Kansas State football. He will be your starting quarterback next year. The comp for us here at On3 for him out of high school was Pat White. should tell you just how dynamic of an athlete he is. He was a four-star cat out of high school in class 2023. The Big 12 Conference, to me, feels like it's very wide open. Now, I understand Utah with Cam Rising coming back, and we'll see what Colorado is. Like, Kansas State, I believe, is in very good position to make some real moves. Arizona also joining the conference. Um, it feels like a quarterback can make the difference, and how talented Avery Johnson is could be that difference maker. Accounted for 12 touchdowns as a true freshman. He has a chance, I think, to really elevate with them having a full offseason to build the offense around him as the guy because I think what he brings to the table as an athlete at least is a little bit more dynamic than what Will Howard brought to the table now I'm not saying he's a better player than Will Howard but I do think you have a chance now to put more strain on a defense with what he does running the football than what Will Howard brought to the table and this is something that a lot of people have said but I'm just going to echo the sentiment uh, Avery Johnson is there because Kansas State chose him over Will Howard Will Howard could have come back to Kansas State for another year so that should tell you just how talented he is and how uh, highly they think of him in Manhattan. And like I said, he is without a doubt the future for the Wildcats going forward. So Jordan James, Jake Pope, Micah Hudson, Avery Johnson, not all encompassing. We'll probably do a few more segments like this on some top guys to keep an eye on in the college football world. But all four of those cats I expect to be instant impact program guys that maybe not a lot of national folks are talking about right now but uh, ones that you'll know about when the season rolls around because of y'all being dialed in year-round to this show. So a couple of program guys there to keep an eye on. Um, now, this is something I wanted to make sure we got to during this show because I think it's important. Um, Chip Kelly has been in the news relatively frequently over the last couple of weeks because he's been interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs. 
He was interviewing for the Raiders job a couple of times. Then it looked like they were going to go with Cliff Kingsbury. And then Cliff Kingsbury takes the commander's offensive coordinator job. So at the time of us being live, Chip Kelly does not have an NFL OC job, but he has interviewed for several. If we're reading the writing on the wall, Chip Kelly wants out of UCLA to go take an NFL job. That's the way this thing looks. Is that how it is? Remains to be seen, but that's the way it looks. And this whole segment, I want us to just kind of unpack, like, can you blame Chip Kelly? And this may not impact directly your school, but I think it's a learning lesson for a lot of schools to kind of take note of. Um, like, think about where UCLA was towards the end of last year. Going into that USC game, there was a lot of rumors, a lot of rumblings around, well, hey, could Chip Kelly be fired if they lose to USC? That was the, the report out of some camps. UCLA goes on to beat USC, and then they lose their last game of the year, I believe it was to Cal. Doesn't get fired. His job is safe. And the whole time I was sitting there saying, like, why? Why would you fire Chip Kelly? In what world does that make sense for your football team? All he's done, the last couple of years at least, is trend upward. They had eight wins in 2021, nine wins in 2022. They won eight games in 2023. But before that, they, they were not that great was UCLA. They had struggled. Now, looking forward to the future, though, with Chip Kelly wanting out of UCLA, going back to this whole can you blame him conversation, how many great relationships, how many great results have come from a situation where a head coach is almost fired? Very, very few. Very, very few. And my question again for UCLA would be, why? Why is that somehow a good move for your football team? Even further, if I'm Chip Kelly, why am I sticking around? You almost fired me after we won nine games last year. I've got my quarterback of the future here at this point in time and Dante Moore. Why would you part ways with Chip Kelly as you move into a more difficult conference? Now, going back to Chip Kelly, you don't need to be somewhere that you're not wanted. Like, let's just call a spade a spade here. Chip Kelly has got some credentials to his name, has had a lot of success as a head coach, has had success as a play caller. And I think in some ways, that's why you look to where they are right now and Chip Kelly interviewing for NFL jobs in the sense that, like, he does need to be somewhere he's not wanted. Chip Kelly, being at UCLA, was always a benefit to Chip Kelly. Always a benefit for UCLA. I don't know if it was always a benefit to Chip Kelly. If he won there, great. But, like, Chip Kelly doesn't have anything to prove. Chip Kelly doesn't have anything he needs to, you know, write down in the history books to prove his salt as a, as a coach in the football world. Looking forward to where UCLA, where UCLA is in the future and why it makes sense for Chip Kelly to be interviewing for NFL jobs. There's a lot of things that don't bode well for their success in the future. Your defensive coordinator, he's at USC. Your quarterback, he's transferred out to Oregon. You look at where they're headed in the Big Ten Conference. UCLA is going to enter into that conference uh, not in a great spot, to say the least. Compared to an Ohio State, compared to a Penn State, compared to a Michigan, like UCLA is, uh, I think, in for a little bit of a, a rude awakening, if we can even say that. In some ways, it's a sinking ship. If I'm Chip Kelly, why would I stay on this thing? You already wanted me fired, based on some reports at least, or were close to firing him based on some reports. It's going to get tougher. It's, it's looking like it's going to be tougher to win. Yeah, I'll go take an NFL job. I'll go be successful as a play caller for one of those 32 NFL teams. And quite frankly, a position that Chip Kelly, I believe, is qualified for. Like, a lot of coaches, I believe, would like NFL jobs. Just from what I'm hearing, there's a pretty long line to get NFL jobs, and a lot of guys aren't qualified or cut out for it. Chip Kelly checks all the boxes you need to be an NFL coordinator. And I think him getting this many interviews with NFL coordinator jobs proves as much. But the cherry on top of this whole thing, <coughs> quick cough, um, the cherry on top of this whole thing, to be real, 
Chip Kelly wants to coach football, and the collegiate ranks, the job description of being a head coach in college football has less and less to do with just coaching college football. And we, we're all kind of on the same page here in the sense that to be successful now as a head coach, you have to coach football well. That's an obvious part of this. But you also have to be a great manager of your roster, retain the right guys, be able to raise funds with the NIL perspective, be able to scout the transfer portal. Like There's so many things now that go into being a college football head coach that I don't know that Chip Kelly really is all that excited about doing. That's my perception. I don't know if that's the facts. But again, you're an elite offensive mind for Chip Kelly. You've had success virtually everywhere you've been. Yeah, I'm going to go coach the NFL. I'm going to have a little bit more time with my family. I'm going to be somewhere I'm wanted. That makes sense. Again, can you blame Chip Kelly for wanting out of UCLA when they thought about firing him based on certain reports? I have a hard time believing that's really something that would uh, be beneficial for Chip Kelly. And also for UCLA, like... At this point now, who do you go get? Where do you go from here if you move on from Chip Kelly? If Chip Kelly moves on from you now is the better thing to say, actually. If Chip Kelly goes and takes another job, who do you go hire? I think you're in a tricky situation there. Because, again, I think Chip Kelly, what he's done at UCLA, what he was doing before this whole thing sort of went haywire, was trending in the right direction. But now with no defensive coordinator, no quarterback in the future in Dante Moore, and more than likely your head coach, looking for a new job. I don't know where UCLA goes from here. So the Big Ten will be difficult without question. Best of luck to the good folks in Westwood. We, we, we mean that. Like going to the Rose Bowl, man, as a kid, that is an awesome place to go watch a football game. When UCLA is up and humming, like that's a great atmosphere. I think that uh, the whole Chip Kelly situation is unfortunate. But again, I just, I think Chip Kelly was always benefiting UCLA and, and we'll see how much UCLA benefits Chip Kelly in the future. But Something to monitor there. Something to keep an eye on. Hard to blame Chip Kelly at this point in time. Um, another great question we got from y'all via Twitter from Jack Mullaney. He says, overall thoughts on the anonymous Missouri donation. What slash uh, Missouri donation, what does it mean for that program? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, Missouri, as of yesterday, I believe it was, reported an anonymous donation of $62 million. 62 M's. 50 million of that is going to stadium renovations. More power to you. 12 million going to NIL. Here's what I think it means. I think it means this is where we are now in college football. And to be honest, I'm kind of for it. Like I wore the gold program shirt today, not necessarily because of Missouri, but I don't think it hurts for this segment. Like there has never been a point in time in college athletics, specifically college football, where your care factor can impact your on-field product to where you are now. And what I mean by that is the schools that win in college football going forward are going to be the schools that prioritize college football. And when I, when I say prioritize college football, I mean making moves in alignment with your goals on the college football side of things. Like, for example, the $12 million to NIL, let's call a spade a spade here. Like, that is to attract and land top talent. Coaches are talking about what it takes to land top guys and retain top guys. It takes a lot of a lot of money. It takes a lot of money to fill an elite roster. And Missouri, they're saying with this kind of uh, allocation of funds, hey, we want to compete at the highest level. We're putting our money where our mouth is. We're making boss moves. Let's go. We expect to be great at college football. And we're putting our money in a place where we can expect to be great at college football because of our input, not just from our fanhood side of things. Um, 
the care factor, extremely, extremely high. Also, this isn't the first time we've seen Missouri make a move like this. Or I say make a move like this. This isn't the first uh, power move, boss move, whatever you want to call it, we've seen Missouri make over the course of this offseason. They extended Eli Drinkwitz. You got a coach that's winning, just won a New Year's Six Bowl, had a double-digit win season. Yeah, extend him. Lock him up. You want to go and be great on the college football side of things, you got to be good in the transfer portal. You got a coach who's attacking the portal. They're a top 10 portal class. Boss move. You have a bunch of money now for NIL. Boss move. You can attract more top talent. And so the impact it has, I think, is amplified because Missouri isn't in a place where they're just trying to get the ball rolling. They're in this place now where they're trying to keep the ball rolling. Because what I just said, they had double-digit win season last year. You got your coach staying. You got Luther Burden. You got Brady Let him cook, who's, I think, one of the most fun quarterbacks in college football, just so we're all on the same page. There is no trying to get it up and running. They're now trying to keep it cruising how it is. And so at the bare minimum, this communicates loud and clear what Missouri expects of their football team, and that is to be great, to compete at a Tier 1 level. They say, hey, we like this winning thing. We're going to contribute to what we have going right now to keep it rolling. And if you're not a Missouri fan, that's more than fine. But I think this is a tremendous example of where we are now in college football. Because you have certain coaches that after different games this past season said, well, we need more NIL to be competitive. We need to have a better roster. We need this. We need that. Missouri, I think, is a great example of them having a product on the field and then having a fan base and boosters, quite frankly, that care about their football program and their success on the football field and saying, okay, you're winning. We want to help equip you to win more. Here's a bunch of money. That's, I think, the formula now. You give me results, I will give you resources to get more results if I'm a booster. That seems to be the picture we're painting here. So at the very least, Missouri is saying we do not accept mediocrity. Our care factor is extremely high. We have money to match our care factor. And now with that money, they have a chance to beef up their roster even more in the future, you have to believe. Definitely going to beef up their stadium to help recruiting. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun to watch Missouri over the course of the next couple of years because I think they are built for modern college football by how they're continuing to address what they care about on the college football side of things. So more power to Missouri, $62 million. $62 million, $12 million to NIL, $50 million to stadium renovations. Boss moves by all involved. Hats off to Missouri for making it happen. We love that. Love to see that. Love to see that. And that's why I've always had a, have a, had a issue with folks saying, well, there's some schools that just have more resources. Y'all, everybody's got boosters. Everybody's got deep pockets somewhere in their lineage of alumni. You just got to have alumni that care. So if you're telling me they have more resources, all you're telling me now in college football is, well, they have more people that care, that are willing to give resources. It is what it is. You still got to make it happen with those resources. You still got to put the right things in place. But Missouri is saying, hey, we're here to play ball. Our care factor is as high as anybody else's. We're not messing around. So I love that for, uh, for Missouri. I think it's a great blueprint for the rest of college football to keep an eye on here. All right, make sure you like the video as we move right along here. Going to get to your questions in just a matter of moments with Nick Break, the keeper of the queue. One more segment here for us, another good question. And if you want to ask a question or get a segment in here to this show, The Hard Count, my Twitter page, at JD Piquel, the best place to do that. From Heads Up Play, they say, what record would be considered a win for Auburn in year two under Hugh Freeze? Now, the good news for the folks in Auburn, Alabama, Hugh Freeze made it very clear that six wins 
is not a win, quote unquote, for Auburn. That is not okay. That's, that's not acceptable for them. By nature of him saying, I'm the new play caller, by nature of a new defensive coordinator, they've already attacked the portal, added nine new players. Also good news, six wins last year. That was an improvement. Had five wins the year before. Or I might be off on that. Five, four wins the year before. I can double check myself. The bottom line is Auburn is continuing to trend upward under Hugh Freeze. Not just the talent acquisition side of things, but by nature of how they're continuing to challenge everything, whether it be the staff, whether it be um, the way that they do things internally, they're continuing to adjust, continuing to, to become better and better with uh, their processes there. Yes, okay, so five wins in, in 2022. All right, back to what I was saying. Schedule is crucial. Got to look at the schedule whenever you try and address uh, what success looks like going forward because context is everything. But what I think a win would be for Auburn in 2023 is, or in 2024 is very much so dictated by the schedule. Uh, here's the toughest games. You got Oklahoma at home. You're at Georgia, at Missouri, at Alabama. I'm not saying those are losses. I'm saying those are the toughest games. Now, the swing games to me, at Kentucky, and you got Texas A&M. Kentucky, always feisty with Mark Stoops and company. You got to go to Lexington. I think Brock Vandergriff is going to be a stud, quite honestly, for them. So that's a swing game. Could win it, but it'll be a big factor in what your uh, final record is, obviously. Then Texas A&M, the Mike Elko structure paired with how talented that roster is at A&M. That'll be curious to see. I think Connor Wegman, too, for A&M. Coming back as the quarterback for them, I think he could be special. So that'll be an interesting game to watch. The over-under, for me at least, looking at, at what I think Auburn is right now in the preseason, I would set that personally at 7.5. I think 8 is a success for Auburn. 8 wins, that is, 8-4. and four. I think anything past 9 puts you ahead of schedule if you're Hugh Freeze and company. Now, the key factors to success for Auburn, I think you have to look at what are your governors, right? Like what's going to keep you from ultimately accomplishing nine or more wins? Or heck, let's put it at the over-under, having eight wins. I think Hugh Freeze and what they do offensively, he wants to be versatile. And you have to figure out what you have at the quarterback position. Is Peyton Thorne a governor for your offense? Meaning, does he keep you from accomplishing what your potential is? Because in four separate games last year, Peyton Thorne threw for under 100 yards. That's not dynamic. It's not versatile. I think Auburn wants to be multiple under Hugh Freeze. I think they want to have the RPO game where they can run the ball and they force you to commit numbers. And then once you do, they have a quarterback that can deliver the mail for you and make you pay. Auburn right now, based on what Peyton Thorne has, short, has shown to this point in the year or in his career at Auburn, uh, they do not have that. Now, that's not to say they couldn't have that. I think Peyton Thorne having a full spring under his belt will give you a really solid idea as to what you have in-house. And so what Auburn does post-spring via the transfer portal, if they go after a quarterback, I think that tells us everything we need to know about how they feel with Peyton Thorne in-house. So he didn't have spring practice last season. This could be a big, uh, big year for him to take a leap. Could be a leap year of sorts, but uh, that's something to watch for. Now, the other key factor for success for me is does the defensive line, the trench play for Auburn, does that meet the price of admission in the SEC? Because last year they allowed four and a half yards of carry. That is nowhere near good enough to win nine games in the SEC. And to be honest, like the teams that win the SEC, they have the big boys up front. And I'm not saying Auburn needs to hold teams to two yards of carry. That'd be great. You're talking about probably going to Atlanta if that's the case. But they got to be better up front. They've already made some moves via the portal to get better up front. But like that has to be improved for them to win eight games next year. 
So those two factors, quarterback play, making the offense multiple, how Hugh Freeze wants to be multiple, and what they have up front on the defensive side, that's going to be a very, very big factor. So here's the thing. If you win eight, I think that is the substantial improvement you need to look to year three as like your big pop year to, hey, let's try and win the SEC. Let's make the college football playoff. Let's make some real noise in year three. Also at that point, you have a 2024 class who right now is top 10 in the country, has a full year under their belt, Probably some of those guys got some playing experience. Cycle up. Who knows what you do through the portal at that point in time. Like, that could be the year you really make some noise. I think Texas is a great blueprint for Auburn to follow here going forward. I understand different situations, different factors. But I think for Auburn, year one, like it was for Texas, it's about fixing the roster. They've made moves to do that. They'll continue to make moves to do that. I think that's a work in progress. Year two, it's all about learning how to win. Texas, how many times did you see them in second halves kind of falter and not be able to finish games their second season under Steve Sarkeesian? I think that's going to be the task for Auburn this year. Can you figure out how to win in the second season? Don't got to go undefeated. You'd love that. Can you find a way to win the games that you need to win when you're in position to win them? All right? Talk a lot about winning, but that's what the segment's about. Now, in year three, it's about putting it all together. Year three is about really having it all come together for one season and put something special together uh, that they'll remember for a long time on the plane. So fix the roster, learn how to win. Year three is where we really talk about winning some exciting things. So this year to me is about learning how to win. And a record that would indicate that, right around eight and four. That would be a win to me to answer this question. So great question from Heads Up Play. Again, get at me on Twitter. Let me know your questions. We'll answer them on this show. One more thing I would say, the good news for Auburn, you won six games last year. You really should have won eight this year. And woulda, shoulda, coulda is a funny place to be, but like should have beat New Mexico State. There was no world where they should be beating you. And then the game against Alabama, you had them fourth and 31. Auburn fans, you know this, but like if that falls incomplete, that's seven wins right there. Add New Mexico State, that's eight wins. Like I don't think that's too much to ask for. So we'll keep an eye on this. We'll keep an eye on Auburn and how they attack the portal. But that's one that I've circled here as a team that could really make a big leap in 2024. So... Great question from Heads Up Play. Great question. All right. Best part of the show now. We appreciate everyone who's tuned in on podcasts. Rate, review, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. Um, But this is the great part about being tuned in live. One, we get to hear your questions. And two, you get to see the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake. Hey, Nick, last week in the studio, man, National Signing Day tomorrow. How are we feeling? Yeah, like I said, uh, this may look different next week when we're in our new office, in our new studio. We'll see, though. Undoubtedly. Do what I can to make it work. Uh, but, yeah, uh, a lot of good chats today. Um, trying to think what I should start with. Um, there are a couple of really in, like thought-provoking questions, J.D. Uh, oh, sorry, man. I, I'm just kind of finding them. You're good. Um, I will say we're only at 50 likes while I'm looking for this. Oh, okay. So we have some work to do. Um but hey, man, if we can get to 100 likes, that'd be great. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be good news. Yeah. Um, I, see, I see a lot of uh, smoke in the chat for Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer, I think, is definitely one of the best mm-hmm. coaches in college football. The reason why I didn't put him in my top five was just quite honestly, I haven't seen him at a Power Five school long enough. And I love Washington. I love what he did at Washington. 104 and 12 as a head coach. Like, you, you can coach some ball now. I'm curious about how he does when he gets to that high profile spotlight in Alabama. Um, I think Mike Ravel would even at Florida State. That's a bright spotlight. He's won there. That, for me, puts him ahead of Kalen DeBoer. So mm-hmm. I think acquiring talent for, for Kalen DeBoer is going to be uh, 
going to be a very, very key factor in his success, obviously, in Tuscaloosa. So I want to address that one because I saw that one yep. floating around in the chat, just some Kalen DeBoer smoke. He was very, very close. I think we had him at, at six, six or seven. Uh, what about Dan Lanning? That's kind of the guy I was yeah. thinking maybe you, what, what would you do with him? Dude, I, so if I was talking to somebody else about this earlier too. Like if it was about head coaches I would hire mm-hmm. to start my football team, that I could maybe try. I, mean, I don't know if maybe get away is even the right verbiage because he's pretty dialed in at Oregon. Um, I would target Dan Lanning. Like I was surprised he wasn't he wasn't uh, pulled away this offseason by one of those other pro- high profile jobs, specifically Alabama. Um, I love what they do culturally at Oregon and the way they acquire talent too. Maybe the Oregon brand plays a factor there. Um, but I had Dan Lanning within my top ten. Didn't have him in the top five just because his track record as a head coach. He only has one job under his belt right now. Yeah, he's done a great exactly. job, but like, I don't know if I don't know if I put him in the top five just yet. Mm-hmm. I had him at on this scribbled out uh, top ten. I had I had him at number nine. Okay, I had Kalen DeBoer at seven, Kiffin at six. Hey, Kyle Whittingham, just the epitome of consistent at yep. Utah. I had him at eight. Uh, Lincoln Riley at ten. Lincoln Riley at ten. Huh. Okay, yeah, we I did see uh, some. People uh, mentioned winning him in the chat too, so that, that was one I was going to ask. Which you, you love to see. You yeah, love to absolutely. See some, yeah, some juice for that getting guy. credit he deserves. Um, so we got some questions. Took me a while to find them. There are a lot of chats today. Um, not a ton of like wars, if you would, in okay. the chat. So it's been a pretty positive situation That's today. But this question overall. from Ferris Khan, JD, if you were coached, do you split your recruiting efforts sixty forty for freshmen versus transfers, maybe even fifty fifty, or? Or it, or he, and in his opinion, it is worth to put so much effort into freshmen when they can just transfer in less than a year later. That's a good point. What do you think? That's a good question. I think splitting the efforts from a percentage standpoint is interesting. I think I would probably go 70-30, high school to uh, transfer portal. And the reason why I emphasize the high school level, the schools that are consistently in that top tier of the rankings are consistently a top-tier college football team. You think about... Georgia, you think about Alabama, um, not that they don't use the portal, they're a little bit more selective in the portal. And if you can crush it at the high school level and have a really solid base to draw from and develop from, whenever that portal exodus inevitably hits, because players are going to leave your school, regardless of how much you win, just kind of nature of college football these days, um, you have a solid base to draw from. So I would go heavy on on the high school side of things. I think that's still the way that coaches want to do it. And then whatever I have to fill via the portal, I still have a good working base of 30% to go and get some top guys. So I don't know if there's a perfect science here, and I guess we're going to get a better gauge for it too as, as we get more and more data from this expanded college football playoff. Like, my answer might be different this time next year if Ole Miss is hoisting the national title trophy or if we get Ohio State who made some – I guess I just mentioned Ohio State being a great high school recruiting operation, but mm-hmm. they, they probably are the best example for me of like attack the high school level and then go and get key guys from the portal as well with a Caleb Downs, with a Julian Sane, with a Quinchon Judkins. So no, no perfect recipe yet, mm-hmm. but that would be my approach, Nick. Uh, J.D., I'll get to the questions that are most recent, so – Everyone, don't worry. You don't have to spam your questions. I'm going to get to them in just a second. But I do want to ask this first. Daniel Borden says, will on three cover FCS schools soon? Um, so I was going to ask you, J.D., just since you played FCS ball, are, are you, do you follow it? What do you think are any teams you like next Dude, season? What do you think? I'll tell you what, you want a, you want a stone-cold lock? Yeah, you let's want, hear it. You want Locksmith right now? Let's hear it. Mike Loxley? <laughs> Cornell. Whatever the odds are for them to win the Ivy, lock it in. I, I'm seeing pictures of, 
uh, Dan Swanstrom, the new head coach there at Cornell, having the boys work out outside in Ithaca, New York, where it's like single-digit degrees. We're out here running uh, running gassers in the snow, pushing sleds in the snow. So uh, as Cornell continues to win more ball games, we'll talk more about them. Uh, but let me know in the chat. Let me know in the uh, in the comment section if you want us to talk some FCS ball. I have obviously no issue doing that, but we are supply and demand. So if we have some FCS demand, we'll talk some some ball for you there. Yeah. Hey, we we at least have one person. You know, uh, Daniel, who, who's interested? So Strength in awesome. numbers. No? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Braxton all says, JD, uh, what do you think South Carolina needs to do to upgrade players, or to upgrade player-wise outside of quarterback and the offensive line? Those are hmm. two big ones. So, where do you think else? Yeah, that's that's massive. I think the defensive side of the ball for them is going to be a spot where they got to keep elevating like the defensive line two years ago was nowhere near good enough and that was a big reason why they were um having to scramble to win like that was a big reason why Notre Dame beat him in the bowl game because they were able to just run the football at will so it sounds overly cliche and we talked to Mike Yuva about this a little bit over at Gamecock Central on a roundtable episode but like you have to have the big boys to win up front in the SEC. And you've heard me say that multiple times, but that's something that I think Ole Miss is doing a great job at via the portal. They're going and grabbing a Prince Leo Manmiel and a, a Walter Nolan. Um, if you can have the price of admission in the SEC and just be good enough on that side of the ball, that's going to give you a chance. Um, if you don't have it, and I say it in terms of defensive line trench play in the SEC, then you're just going to get run through with the physical nature of, of what a lot of teams bring in this conference. So, that would be my, my first thought is they got to elevate on the defensive line or continue to elevate on that side of the ball. Um, it's like you, you can never have enough of it. You know what I mean? You can never have enough good linebacker play, have enough good defensive line play. That's going to be a big, big area of, uh, of addressing for a lot of teams across the SEC year in and year out, and it's a big area for, for South Carolina. Yep. Um, J.D., this question coming. I'm going to get to, let's see. I'll go Ray Potter first. He says, SJD, who do you have winning the Texas versus Georgia game in Austin next year? Oof. Early thoughts, JD. The fact that it's in Austin makes that a little bit more tricky. Gosh, today I lean Georgia. I just think Carson Beck's going to be at a whole new level next year, given another offseason as the guy. Um, the weapons that they have via the portal. I love Texas. I think they're going to be a team. Like We got another question via my Twitter uh, where someone said, what's a game that you think we could see three times next year? Texas, Georgia, we could very realistically see in the regular season, in the SEC title game, and then in the college football playoffs. So that's one that I would absolutely circle. Um, but that first round, with it being on the 40, makes you think maybe Texas could be, uh, could be up to par. But I'll take Georgia right now with uh, reserving our right to change when we do pick that game. Okay, um, this next one coming from Jared. Jared, who, um, he and OG Gary, by the way, brought up a word I haven't heard for a while. He's talking about kickball, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, coming up. that's yeah. coming up in a month, J.D., so we'll talk, in a about, month. Okay. We'll talk about that then. Uh, but this question, who is the best team positioned to be the next dynasty in college football, not named Georgia? Everyone sees how that could happen, yeah, it's, Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, heck, going on our last question, I could see Texas. Like, mm -hmm. if, if Arch Manning is able to be all that he was built to be out of high school, and let's say that Quinn Ewers goes out and has success and Texas wins a national title this year, you plug in Arch Manning, who's now had two years to sit and watch and get comfortable, and he ends up being awesome. Like, we can see Steve Sarkeesian in Texas having some real good success in the SEC. Uh, now, obviously, Georgia's the obvious pick there. How about, uh, I think, Ohio State, too. Like, I wonder if Ryan Day is able to get over that hump 
and they beat Michigan this year, and they win a national title, if that doesn't just kind of open the floodgates for them on the recruiting trail even more, and they recruit you know the top class a couple of years in a row, and they become even more of a portal destination, they're clearly playing ball on that side. Like, I, I'd be very curious to see those two schools if they could be dynasties going forward. Uh, that might be a segment for us here one of these days, Nick. I think, I think Ohio State and I think um, Texas are two sleeping giants when it comes to dynasties. They've already been successful, but I mean dynasties, those are two that I could see happening. This is an interesting comment. Um, I think this goes with what people were talking about in the chat. Um, they were all talking about all these non-SEC schools. Richie Dubbs says you can't compare all of the non-SEC teams to Ohio State. They're a little different. And I think that could be um, in recruiting and transfer portal, but also in how they play, J.D. Where do Ohio State, do you think, rank, if you throw the SEC out of it, in terms of a program uh, in college football? Where, where do you put them? Uh, in the mix I mean in our in our post portal post Saban poll we had them at number two and I think by the way they've attacked the portal that's for sure elevated them I mean when the confetti dropped I mean moments later they landed Quinshawn Judkins so that probably elevates them a little bit but like all the guys they have coming back on that defense pretty much everybody you add in Caleb Downs I think you make an upgrade at quarterback ever so slightly with Will Howard. Like I think they're they're absolutely going to be a player. And um, if you threw them in the SEC tomorrow, I think they're in that conversation to win that conference. Like I think they are that good. So that yes, they're they're a little bit of a, of a different beast in some ways. But I, I really think Ohio State across the board has what it takes to win, no matter what conference you put them in. So and I think a lot of people would agree with that sentiment, sentiment as well that Ohio State just from a roster talent mm-hmm. standpoint, is, is good enough to compete with anybody in the country. And we're going to see that in this year's college football playoff. I truly believe that they'll be there. Yeah, I just wanted to try to think of an Ohio State question from the comments because that is kind of the, they're the main character today right. in our, in yeah, our chat section. They're getting today. a lot of juice. We love that. Um, Jonathan Rayfield, who we all know as a diehard Nebraska fan, uh, says, J.D., who are your some potential dark horse teams this year in the Big Ten and in the SEC? Also, love the program shirts. Need one. Love the show. Go big road or go big red. Throw the bones. <laughs> Throw the bones, baby. There we go. Uh, dark horses, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure what Michigan State's going to be under Jonathan Smith. That's a whole new outfit over there. Um, Aiden Childs, the quarterback of the future for them. He was a guy that we were really high on here coming out of high school. I think they're kind of a dark horse to watch. Obviously, Nebraska, I think they're somewhere in the top 20 in terms of returning production next year. So that's encouraging. And if Dylan Raiola, if you hit on him in year one, like that could be a big, a big uh, factor in their success. Um, I think they asked about Big 12 as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, I, Big 10 and, and SEC, but let's throw in the Big 12. We'll throw in the Big 12 too. I mean, I've been high on Texas Tech for a while here, Nick. I think they're absolutely a dark horse. They could win the Big 12 this year. An SEC dark horse, man, I think, I think Tennessee's pretty qualifiably a dark horse in the sense that they're not, you know, going to get the buzz that a LSU or a Bama gets. But we've seen how that offense is supposed to work when they have the it guy at quarterback. I think you have the it guy, Nico Iamaliava, this year. That could be a very, very dangerous team um, if they're able to re, uh, recreate what they had in that 2022 offense. So those are kind of my dark horses across the board. But, again, might be another uh, might be another one. I see Ray Potter saying Wisconsin. That yeah. could be another one with Tyler Van Dyke. Yeah. Getting back to his air raid background. Uh, I see one of our, our chats here asking about Baylor. NYF says, do you have any Baylor tea? Not a lot of Baylor tea for us right now. I will say this, though. This has to be the year for Dave Aranda. Has to be. Mm-hmm. You've had different staffs. 
you've had a couple of different goes at it now since the Big 12 title season and the Sugar Bowl season. I need to see a little bit of return on investment that Dave Rand is going to be the guy going forward for Baylor because the way that it feels to me is he's a great coach. Great coach. Great philosophically. Um, I think is great in terms of what he cares about within his football program. But the way that they have lacked the players to win the games they need to win, the way that they've just been, quite frankly, outmatched on the field, that's concerning to me. So I think now we're at a point in time under Baylor where it's no longer a you're no longer benefiting from having Matt Rule's players. I think it's more so a matter of now we're seeing Dave Aranda's players. Can they be successful with his guys? That's the key factor for me. Because being successful in college football, Nick, we know this now, it's not just about coaching. You want to just coach, go to the NFL. Right now in college football, it is very much so about acquiring the right talent. And uh, Dave Aranda's got to prove that he can do that. So I hope it happens. I root for the guy. But that's that's a big factor, I think, for uh, the Baylor T, if you will, uh, for what's going on in Waco. How about two more questions, I love it. Two more questions. First one, this one is from Nick Mobley uh, about LSU. Says, J.D., what is missing for Brian Kelly to secure his legacy as a college football coach, and how can he get get to where he needs to be? I I think the obvious answer right off the bat has got to be the defense, right? That has to be the big factor for them to get to where they want to go. And what's missing from his legacy is a national championship. Like, that is why he came to LSU. He felt like LSU gave him the best chance to go win national titles, to compete against the best, to cement his legacy. And so for them to have the showing they did defensively last year, and Brian Kelly to see that and make an immediate pivot, says, nope, we got to get better. Hires a new DC, and I think the personnel will benefit from that. And then to piggyback off of that, being able to have Garrett Nussmeyer hit how I think you expect him to hit, with Jaden Daniels now leaving and Joe Sloan taking over the offense, um, that's going to be something I'm watching very closely because I think they have all they need in-house, at least, from a personnel standpoint to be successful. Uh, but a national championship is what has evaded Brian Kelly. They played Alabama for one and, and got drug. Um, it's got to be, when he was in Notre Dame, that is, it's got to be, it's got to be what he accomplishes next to kind of cement his legacy where he wants to be remembered from a, from a college football uh, head coaching standpoint. Okay, man, one more question. How's that? That sounds great, brother. OG Gary, JD, this is a good one to end on. Who are your three finalists for the upcoming Heisman? I know it's too early, Ooh. but who are your three? You want to hear OG Gary's? Yeah, let's go with OG Gary's. I like it. Nico, Dylan Gabriel, and Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon. <laughs> I like it, man. My, my fear is that we're entering into an era of college football where it's just, it's just a quarterback award. And, I mean, we... I don't know if we just lean into that, if we push back against that. Because Ollie Gordon had a tremendous year last year. It's just so difficult to win if you're not a quarterback. So with that being said, I like the Nico pick. I think that's a good one. We'll have him as a dark horse for us. I think Dylan Gabriel's a great pick. I think that offense is going to cater his skill set. Um, I'll go with Carson Beck. I think he is in a very stable position year two of that offense with Mike Bobo. Um, I think he'll put up good numbers and he'll be successful this year again. And, and George will win a lot of football games. Uh, I'll go Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers also will put up big numbers. If he can stay healthy and Texas is able to win how I think they expect to win this year, I think he'll be in that uh, Heisman conversation. So those are my three right now that I would feel comfortable rolling with uh, going into this 2024 season. But maybe we'll revisit that too at a, at a later date and uh, see if we can't find uh, some good odds for us, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's good do stuff. it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Nick, I appreciate you, brother. What do you say? Uh, not same time tomorrow, but tomorrow nope. nonetheless. We will see you tomorrow, JD. Good deal. Long Again, day. You're the man, Nick. Appreciate you, brother. Yep. Again, if you, if uh, for those of y'all that weren't tuned in earlier, this show will be on tomorrow. 
we will not be on at our usual time slot. So if you come here at 11 a.m. Eastern, we will not be on the air. However, we will be on the air over at the On3 Recruits channel talking National Signing Day. Now, if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, you will know when this show goes live on this platform again. Okay, it will be live tomorrow, probably after noonish time. If I had to guess right now, I'd say somewhere in the three Eastern-ish range. Don't hold me to that, but follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, at Judy Pakel. I will let y'all know when we are going live. So make sure you're locked in there. We'll kind of recap National Signing Day. And as we always do, talking college football every single day on this show. Hey, listen, start to the week now. Very, very important to set the tone. Y'all got this. All right, let's attack it. Let's get after it. Control your attitude. Control your effort. For myself, Judy Pakel, for Nick Brake, and all of us here at On3, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.